0: Hello, 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 everyone! This is Demia Avery, and welcome to yet another episode of What You're Doing, Wilmington. This podcast is designed to shed light on the positive people, places, and things here in the beautiful city of Wilmington, North Carolina. Now, you can catch a different episode each week, and my intent is to help encourage and motivate others to do what they love, as well as recognize those who give of themselves every day to everyone, no matter how big or how small. I see you, we see you, and it's good to be seen. All right, guys. So today's episode is entitled, Everyone Has a Story. Everyone has a story. So I don't know about y'all, but the older that I get... Of course, the more people that you meet and then you hear the different things that has gone on in their their past lives and stuff like that, everyone has a different story, that's for sure. And no one's story is completely like the other. I mean, we have some similarities, which is great because that that allows us to exchange, you know, different uh, life adventures. I like to call them life journeys. But I always say no one knows what it's like to be you. Someone told me that one time and it just stuck with me. So you ever get people that says, you know, oh, this is easy or this is that. and No one knows what it's like to be you. Maybe it's not that easy for me. But anyway, I just wanted to ask you guys, have you ever known somebody to like say, I went through the same thing and this is what I've done. So all you got to do is just get over it. <laughs> you know, I turned out okay. So you just get over it. Well, it's not that simple for everyone. And we all react to situations differently. We all process things differently. And although you appreciate the fact that they were really trying to help you in their own way, but sometimes, you know, their way is not your way of of handling something or dealing with something. And, you know, some of us have some really, really deep issues. We got some, some stuff going on here. And there are times when, We actually go to the wrong person for help. And when I said the wrong person, I mean, it might be a loving person that you that's in your circles. But I mean, a person that have never really been in your shoes, you know, at all. (laughs) And although they're giving you all that they have that they can to, to help you with whatever you're going through, it's just not what you need. And there are times when we have to or must seek outside help outside of our normal circles cuz let me tell you i my family i have a very very loving family and and i'm a little spoiled guys but i have a very loving family and when i go to them advice most of the time they're giving me great advice but then there are times when you know they're giving you a certain type of advice because they love you so much. Either they don't want to hurt your feelings or they might overstep in their bounds and they know everything about you. So they're just holding off or, or, you know, or maybe even just arguing with you saying, well, you know what? Well, you did this like that. So how come you can't do this? You, you know what I'm saying? So sometimes you got to see people that's outside of your, your circle. And I don't know why, um, we find that very hard. I know in uh, in the the black community um we do find that very hard because of um we 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 say, you know, we take it to Jesus. And yes, we take it to Jesus. <laughs> Absolutely. But we um it's also good to seek outside help as well. Not that they're taking over Jesus's role, (laughs) but it's, it's just another form of, of getting help. Maybe, Hey, maybe Jesus talked to them to give you the message. I don't know, but I don't want to get into the religious thing. I'm just saying, I don't know why it's so embarrassing for us. It's either embarrassment or shame or pride or whatever the case. But listen guys, if you feel like you're in that dark place and I've been there, and you know in your heart that you need help. You've at your at your wits' end, regardless to what it is. Please reach out to someone. Someone. If I can't help you, if you come to me and I can't help you, I'm, I'm doggone sure going to point you in the right direction. If because if you're coming to me, that means you absolutely need somebody to talk to. So I'm going to point you in the right direction. And and speaking of the right directions. I have a little bit of a different episode today. Um, as you know, what you do in Wilmington talks about all the people, positive people, places and things here. Um, but a lot of my talks have been to entrepreneurs and, and um, well, actually most of it has been that a few, we talked about a few restaurants or places that you can go. But I wanted to make sure that I include such people in places like My Next Guest, I so, so, so enjoyed talking with her. And listen, we're going to talk about... It, it, well, um, well, let me just introduce her. Her name is Pastor Meg McBride Stewart of Hope Recovery. And she is just phenomenal. She is an actress too. She she needs to get out there on that stage. That's what I wanted to say. I have to make sure I put that in there. But I can't wait for you all to, to, to meet her, to hear about her journey. And how she now helps countless people in the community with their addictions as well as mental health. So... After the break, check it out. Be right back, y'all.
1: Are you ready to join the billion-dollar podcasting industry? If so, Blake's Booth Podcasting Studio is ready for you. Whether you're just starting out and have no equipment or you are seasoned pro but need help with production, Blake's Booth Podcasting Studio has everything you need. So stop making excuses and start making your podcast, audiobook, e-course, and other online dreams come true. Call Blake's Booth Podcasting Studio now, 302-261-3530. That's 302-261-3530.
0: Hello, 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 everyone. This is Demia Avery of What You're Doing Wilmington, and welcome back to our show. And listen, guys, I have a very special guest in the house tonight. Well, I I make it sound like it's a club, a special guest (laughs) on the show tonight. (laughs) I'm so elated to have her on the show. It's an honor and a pleasure to have her here. Please welcome a very beautiful soul, Pastor Meg Stewart McBride. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. It's fun to be here. I'm looking forward to our time together. Yeah. Hey, listen, and you and um, we were speaking a little bit beforehand, and, and uh, you are actually my first guest of of this kind of this kind of um, I don't even know if to call it. I guess it's still entrepreneurial, but it's it, you know it's a different in a, like in a different category. Cause mostly I do, you've seen different, uh, business owners with stores and you mentioned chef, um, chef roads and things like that. But my whole goal is to highlight, um, positive things that happen in the community. And I just could not let this go past without speaking to someone that, that does so much for the, uh, the community, so much for people, so much for Wilmington I- itself. So I, I was very glad to uh, have you, you know, come on our show. And I have to give a special shout out to Sean Dixon. He uh, was actually, he's a, he's actually a new friend of mine. I guess we've been knowing each other now for maybe a year, a year or so. And then he stated to me, he said, you must interview This lady, and he said, she's so amazing. And he thinks the world of you. And, (laughs) and um, he he talked about you a lot. And I said, of course, I absolutely will. So I went on the website and all that other kind of stuff. And I said, I I have to have you on the show. So I just wanted to give him a big virtual hug and just say, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So I am so happy for you being here.
2: (laughs) Well, thank you. I I love Sean Dixon too. He's yeah. a, what a stand-up person, right? I love him. So yeah, he's now, a fine fellow. Yes, he is. Yes. He <laughs> is. Yeah.
0: Now, and, and um, I'm going to have to, if Sean, if you're listening, I'm gonna have to get you on the show for your own business. So you just better watch out for that. So we're going to get you on here. Yeah. As well. <laughs> but before I get into talking about, I, I want to talk about you. I want to talk about hope recovery. Um, But before I get more into you, please tell us about uh, Hope Recovery, its mission or its vision or or what exactly it is. Okay.
2: So Hope Recovery Faith Community is a brand new church plant or a new church start here in Wilmington. We are affiliated with the United Methodist Church. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of am an entrepreneur. I'm a church entrepreneur, right? I'm I'm creating and building a brand new community that is sacred, Mm -hmm. that specifically focuses on persons with the lived experience of recovery. Mm -hmm. And that includes people that have been attending to and are been exposed to 12 step recovery. But one of the things that's kind of happened in our ongoing life together is that we've started to say everyone is recovering from something. Right. And so I have people that have joined me. I have a woman that is recovering from a lifelong debilitating illness. And so her recovery is about, about her health. Okay. I have people come that feel like they're in recovery from grief. Um, I have people that have joined me that feel like, they're always working on boundaries. And so they're kind of recovering from people pleasing and, and living into the healing space of boundary setting. And so what I've created is an evening where recovering people come together Mm -hmm. for a time of connection, community, uh, sharing. So it's not like regular church where you sit and someone delivers information to you or you know we actually have an interactive time where we we discuss and we share and we share ideas and then we also have some very sacred moments too where we might have um eucharist together and we sing and things like that we pray together okay. but then also I have, I've acquired a building. So I was given a a building space to use in Devon Park, um, which is kind of in the center of town near the mall.
0: Okay.
2: I also, we also host recovery meetings throughout the week. Okay. And so hope recovery faith community is not just about one single service that happens, you know, for two hours during the week. Mm -hmm. For me, it's about every single recovering person that is coming to the space, maybe for a narcotics anonymous meeting, or, um, you know, we have some other groups that are meeting there. I'm having a woman that teaches yoga come. Uh, She's starting at the end of the month. And we're also going to be hosting a group called recovery Dharma, Mm -hmm. which is a Buddhist recovery kind of oriented Mm -hmm. for people that, you know, prefer the Buddhist way. And so I'm, Hoping that it will become hope recovery, faith community building in space and the intention. This is what I ultimately hope for it because this, this for me is what I ultimately want okay. and desire and long for that. I would know deeply my wholeness mm. and what that means as far as my purpose and my calling in life and how I'm loved and supported by a power greater than myself mm. and that we could all know that together. And then we could live into that wholeness and be the amazing people that we were created to be.
0: Amen to that.
2: <laughs> so, I mean, that's my dream for the space that it would have art and it would, you know, have music and all these things that support healing and wholeness. And um, so, yeah. So, Hope Recovery well, is a meeting on Thursday
0: nights, but it's also a lot more. <laughs> well, you know what? And I'm so glad that you, you um, really, you know, went into it to tell us, you know, all the different things and in, in, in different, um, I don't know, facets of recovery is the right word to say. But I think that's pretty cool. I did not know that. I did not know that. Because when you think of recovery, the first thing I think is either you're going to have a drug issue, you're either going to have alcohol issue, or you're either going to have maybe like a food addiction or something like that. But I don't think about other things that you may have to recover from. And I, I love the fact that you welcome all of that into your space. That's amazing. Mm-hmm.
2: I mean, I think now, right, we've, over the recent years, we've done a lot of studies on trauma and the adverse childhood experiences, right? They're called ACEs and all these things that affect us and shape us, Mm -hmm. you know, really from the time we're born. Mm -hmm. And there are some people who are able to deal with those things in a pretty natural, positive manner, and they kind of roll with it and they do okay. But I would think that there are a lot more of us, myself included, who were not able to navigate those environments without coming out of it with some kind of wounding. And then these kind of negative coping skills um that in the interim kind of got me my bang for my buck and yeah. met my needs in, you know, in the moment, but that were overall really destroying my life and not just like my external life Mm -hmm. but my internal life right like robbing me of serenity and peace and being able to make good choices for myself and all these other things and people get stuck in the habit of trying to navigate and survive their lives depending on what happened to them and for some of us we end up in some really dark places yeah you know and um And I'm learning that you don't have to be a drug addict to end up in a dark place. You know, you can, you can be going through a divorce, right. Or you could, you could be experienced the death of someone that you really love. And so what it really comes down to for me too, is that there are these incredible places where where suffering, Mm -hmm. right. And joy really rub up against each other. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of people, because right next to suffering is joy. You know, they're so close to each other. And in order to experience joy, sometimes you have to travel through the suffering. Um, And how many of us have gone through something really hard that was so terrible in the moment and you didn't think you could survive it. And then you get to a place and you look back and you're like, wow, that was terrible. That was awful. But, but look at what I gained from that, or, you know, look at the lesson or the wisdom or how much stronger that made me. Um, And so for me too, like the space of suffering is not scary to me. It's an interesting space. And that comes out of my story. Um, And hope recovery is about helping people be in their suffering Mm -hmm. and, you know, and also how to navigate it. You know, it doesn't have to take you out um, but yet it's very real. And so let's say that, but then let's also talk about how to kind of move through it and, and for the time it takes. Right. And, and, but let's do it together. Let's do it together and let's get some healing. And when we've got a a grasp of a little bit of healing, Mm -hmm. let's really celebrate that. Right. Like let's, let's call that out. Let's tell the story of healing. especially in, in the world we live in, right? Especially in this world.
0: Yeah. Oh, you got my wheels are turning now. Okay. So, (laughs) so um, let me ask you during, um, with all that being said, has things elevated when, as the pandemic started, you know, when the pandemic started, did things elevate in your um, programs or anything like that?
2: So you mean in the recovery programs in general?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: So when the pandemic started, there were a lot of churches and spaces, of course, that shut down. Um, Particularly the United Methodist Church was not permitted to gather in person at all. Mm -hmm. Everything shifted online, right? A lot of things, all our business, all our church, all our dealings with each other. And there were recovery meetings that were not, allowed to access space. Okay. And so at the time of the beginning of the pandemic, I was volunteering at a space that hosted homeless hospital patients for a time of rest and recuperation Mm -hmm. after they were discharged from the hospital rather than sending them right back to the streets. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: And it was right down the street from where a fairly large Narcotics Anonymous meeting met every morning. Okay. a person asked me, can we use your backyard to meet for NA? Wow. And so that that unofficial NA meeting started to be known as fire pit. And they would make a fire every morning and they met at the same time, right? And so NA found a way to continue to meet because for some of us in recovery, Zoom does not equate to -to face-to-face fellowship.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And for some of us, it's essential. And so it became really, I think for some people, a matter of life or death that I had to still make these personal connections in my recovery or else I wouldn't survive. Um, and I'm so grateful that that space was available. Um, and I made a lot of friends there, right. I made, I met a lot of new people, um, And once that ended, you know, and spaces started to open back up again, Mm -hmm. um, you know, slowly recovery meetings have returned and they're Mm -hmm. kind of back up to normal now. Um, And so it's a hard call, right? It was a hard call for some people like, do I want to be safe from COVID or do I need to recover? And for some people, the need to recover was greater. Yeah, and
0: I, I, I feel so. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no, no. Go, yeah. I, I truly feel. Um, I, I guess I I true. I don't know the word for it. I mean, we think of all the things that the pandemic has affected. And, you know, the things that the news shows us and the, the, the things like we know that it, it uh, affects the schools and we know it affects people's medications and we know, you know, things like that. But I never I feel ignorant in the fact that I never took the time to realize that something like that could be a matter of of life and death for someone, you know. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow.
2: And here's the truth about addiction, pandemic or no pandemic, an addict or an alcoholic is going to use or drink. Like, you know, it doesn't matter if you've had the best day of your life or the Mm. worst day of your life, you're going to drink or use. So, But, you know, what, what has always been held for so many years is this idea that if I need the rooms of recovery, you know, the rooms of recovery are a place to go. Mm. you, you physically go there with your body, and you sit in a circle or, you know, with other recovering people. Mm -hmm. Um, And while I had many great, you know, relationships built on zoom during the pandemic that I still meet and gather on zoom with those people, and I feel very close to those people. Mm -hmm. I think that body to body in recovery. Um, because here's why, because the body, the body is so important, right? We, we bring our minds to tasks, right? Mostly a lot of us, me, I like, um, everything intellectual through my brain first. Mm -hmm. And where I think I've found in my own personal recovery, because I'm a recovering person, Mm -hmm. the place that I always do the least work in is in my body. Um, Hmm. and that again, comes from being formed in environments where maybe you didn't have that kind of freedom. Like, for example, in my family, you were told how to feel and Hmm. it had to be a positive feeling, right? Like there was only limited people, actually one person in my household that I grew up in that was allowed to express anger. Any other expression of anger was, was punished or wrong or not welcome. And so you learn then how to manipulate your body Mm -hmm. and your emotions, right. Your emotional body um, to be pleasing or to stay safe or uh, to mask or, you know, to hide or whatever And the act of bringing your body to an AA meeting or an NA meeting or any other kind of 12-step meeting, it's such an important part of surrendering to Mm. the process that you need help and you're bringing your full self to that room, right? Like, I'm curious... I I haven't heard anyone tell me the story, but how many people sat in an AA meeting on Zoom with a drink on their desk, (laughs) you know, out of cameras view, you know, like, people not wearing pants and meetings and all this, you know, like, I'm sure it happened. Uh, Yeah. um, So there's a real different accountability when you have someone right in front of you and you can look in their eyes, you can watch them, you know, you uh, you can kind of observe, um wow and so yeah i mean i prefer face to face over everything right um yeah. and plus i crave connection with people you know yeah. and i would argue that we're also that are sensitive to each other and so i want to be in the atmosphere where i can really connect and pick up with other people yeah. um and my guess is for a lot of recovering people the absence of that made for some mm-hmm. staying sober clean very very hard
0: well just just to to make a, a little funny on on The virtual conversation with it, with the drink and the table. You don't need. You don't even have to be an addict for that, because I don't know how many times somebody said, "Are you eating that cake?" And I'm like, "Uh, uh, you can't." Right? (laughs) No, I'm not not eating anything. Having sitting right in my face.
2: (laughs) My secret is I let my dog sit on my lap during meetings. Right? (laughs)
0: That's right. That is right. So I want to dig more into you. Um, I went to the website and I learned a little bit about your journey, you know, of course, in your about us page and everything. If you don't mind telling, I mean, I know it it may be a long story. I don't know, but just telling us a little bit about what, what struggles you, you've had to face within your recovery.
2: Sure. Um, well, I can tell you what led me to recovery or what led me to drinking. Right. Um, And I believe that it started for me even before I was born. Mm -hmm. My mother uh, worked at the FBI when she was 21, uh, Mm -hmm. back in the late 60s. And she met a guy from the Air Force Base down there. And, you know, they hooked up and she got pregnant. Mm -hmm. And she was so ashamed um, that the solution to the problem, which was me, was that she was given money to go to Nashville. I think Um, I think in Nashville and stay in a home for unwed mothers that my natural father paid for that. Mm -hmm. And she went there lied to her parents and told her she'd gotten reassigned and ended up at this home for unwed mothers that she just absolutely hated
3: Mm -hmm. and
2: ended up running away and, By chance, a girl that she had known at the FBI, her mother had lived in that town and my mother got connected with her and they cared for her Mm
3: -hmm. until
2: she had the courage to tell my grandparents who were lovely, lovely, lovely people, my most favorite people in the whole world. But because of the time and the culture and we were Roman Catholic, they brought my mother home and they hid her in New Jersey. I was born in Pennsylvania. They hid her in New Jersey until that, you know, close to my birth. Mm -hmm. And then they brought her home to Pennsylvania and they told the story that the marriage had not worked out. Mm, Okay. And so right away for me, I think I'm born into this, not to hurt me, right? Not, not any malicious way, but like this, this level of dishonesty um, and interestingly enough. The first baby born to barren grandparents, barren godparents. So they had adopted. My mother was adopted. And right before my birth, my cousin, the first grandbaby in the family, died Mm. of crib death. Mm. So my mom, you know, is in the 70s. And my mom was adopted when she was five. So she lived in an orphanage for five years, you know, and um, you can just imagine, you know, all the trauma and baggage that she already had when, when she met my grandparents who, you know, loved her deeply. And so my mom meets this man in 1975. And, you know, she's a single mom. And I think she just thought, I'm just going to go for this. And he was very angry all the time. Okay. And so that came out on me. It didn't come out on my mother, but it came out on me. And I went from living with my grandparents. My nano would give you pound cake and strawberries and whipped cream for breakfast if you wanted it. Right. Right. Yeah. To this kind of very strict, rigid Pennsylvania, German, uh, Mili- military type parenting style. Cause my stepfather was in the military. Okay. And, um, I spent most of my childhood in fear when I was in third grade, we moved to South Carolina mm-hmm. and it was just culture shock for me to be in the South. Um, and then we eventually moved back to Pennsylvania.
3: Mm-hmm. And
2: so my coping skill became, uh, funny, everything is funny Mm-hmm. and everything is everything is fine. Okay. I'm fine. It's all fine. And when I discovered alcohol at 16, it opened up my world because all of a sudden I felt like I could kind of let go of these strict boundaries that I had to keep in place to be safe in my household. Right. Alcohol actually like elevated me. Mm-hmm. Yes, I was like, "Oh, maybe I am pretty." maybe I can talk to that boy. Maybe I'm funnier, you know, it really kind of released me from this bondage. Um, and my drinking, you know, drinking when you're 16 and you're not supposed to be doing it, there's a bunch of boys around. It's fun. Yeah. You know, and, um, it's the excitement. That excitement continued Hopefully. yeah it's fun and you know you're flirting and you're having a good time and i got to college I, I went away to school i went to temple university which was about 90 minutes just far enough away from my parents that they couldn't keep track of me and cell phones or beepers hadn't been invented yet right so i'm uh, in philadelphia you know and like
0: um i know the area in- very well i'm from wilmington yeah. Delaware.
2: Yeah. So we had subway passes, we Mm -hmm. were going all over to South Street. And I was much more interested in boys and beer Mm -hmm. than I was in my grades. And I ended up getting pregnant. Okay. And so 19 years old, I mean, 18, actually, I'm pregnant. And my grandmother, uh, my strict grandmother says, you've made a mistake and you need to make it right you're mm-hmm. going to get married. You're going to live with, you know, you're going to have this baby and blah, 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 blah. Uh, and man, I didn't want to do any of that stuff. I I didn't, you know, I was yeah. so like hopeless. Oh my gosh. And I'm getting ready to walk down the aisle in my wedding dress that my mother has sewed for me. Right. And she says mm-hmm. to me, as I'm ready to take the step into the church, mm-hmm. are you sure, man, this is what you want to do. And, you know, it just felt like, Everything felt like a trap, you know, and I get married and I knew that my husband had hemophilia. So my husband was a hemophiliac and I knew that in college and I learned about hemophilia. Mm -hmm. Never, ever did I equate hemophilia to HIV AIDS. I just, you just don't know what you don't know. I just didn't know. Like, I'm not reading up on this stuff and. Um, when we were in our early twenties, my husband started to get all these different kinds of illnesses and that a 24, 23 year old man shouldn't have. And we got sent to the doctor and a specialist and he was like, oh, hemophilia, we're testing your AIDS. And I was like, what?
3: Wow. What?
2: Like, yeah. And so we got tested that day and we got tested that day and my husband was positive and I was negative. Oh my. I cannot explain how that is. I mean, we'd had unprotected sex 4,000 times, you know, we'd been together and we'd had two children by then. So we had two sons by then. And um, that started a long road of sickness. Um, Me as a caretaker, my husband, 25, 26, 27, 28. I mean, in the hospital, countless, countless, countless times and hemophilia alone is enough. It's yeah. more than enough. It's a horrendous disease. It's so painful and debilitating, but to have all these complications of HIV AIDS on top of it. And, um, in the early nineties, when he was hospitalized, there were nurses that refused to treat him. Really? I mean, AIDS, AIDS was still scary. Yeah. right? Like it just still had all these like, you know, stigmas around it. And, um, when I was 28, I just couldn't do it anymore. And I, I left that marriage. I walked away. Mm -hmm. I just could not handle it anymore. I didn't have the right, I didn't have faith. First of all, I honestly believed, and this comes out of my misunderstanding of the religion of my upbringing. And so I don't blame, right? There's no blame, but it's also, I just didn't have enough information, I think, to really understand my, my religion Mm -hmm. I really thought that God was punishing me for having sex and that's why, that's why the illness was part of our lives. Wow. I felt so responsible and that somehow, you know, because my God was a God who watches you and is going to send you to hell when you've been bad. Mm -hmm. And man, had I done the bad stuff, you know, which in hindsight, now I think about it, I'm like, oh my gosh, like I really didn't, really didn't do that much bad stuff. But it was the way that my mind thought about it. And so I didn't have faith to help me navigate that suffering. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I'm comfortable with suffering because I've watched suffering and I've been a part of suffering
3: mm-hmm.
2: without tools to navigate it. Um, and now that I'm exposed to some tools to navigate suffering, right. Um, yeah it's a space that I find myself quite comfortable in and that's not, I'm not welcoming suffering, but I, I feel I'm able to, uh, be present to suffering. And so when I left my husband, um, my alcoholism, cause by up until that point, it had been like, I got drunk at every wedding we went to and I would pass out on the way home in the car. And, you know, we'd have a New Year's Eve party at home and, you know, I just always took it too far. But at 28, and a single parent uh, with some great grandparents that wanted to just watch the grandkids all the time. I just partied hard, and
0: was it guilt? over the next five Did you years? Have guilt because of that? Because you left? Did you have any of that kind of feeling? No. Yeah, but it was way more freedom.
2: Like, oh my gosh, I finally gotcha. don't have this crap in my life anymore. It was capturing that same feeling at 16, 16, like, right. I'm alive now. I can do what I want. Nobody's holding me back. Yeah. And I went for it. Like I just, and so I had a job at the time I was a mail carrier at the time. Um, I had a job that allowed me to party like that. I made good money. You didn't have to show up to mail carry and even be sober. You could be a little little buzz, right? Um it's an easy job. You know, you're not dealing with anybody during the day. You're outside on your own. All you got to do is get to the last house on that route and you've done your work, you know, mm-hmm. and so um you know, I just I just racked up credit cards and went on vacations and um I pursued this man. Oh gosh, I just wanted to have this man in my life so so desperately. Mm -hmm. And when I finally thought I had him, he came to me and said one night, you know, I met a girl and I I think I want to marry her. And it had been five years of my life, like trying to get this man. And that night I went into the bathroom of my apartment and Mm -hmm. I sat on the toilet and I took the phone book and I opened it up to the blue pages, Uh right? That's, that was your, that was your information section. Right. And I called a 12 step group and I have no idea why I knew that I should do that. Um, and by chance, a woman answered the phone and I was at my first 12 step meeting. That was a Saturday night that that yeah. Monday night
0: I went to my first meeting. Um, so maybe you knew, obviously you knew Oh, this is getting ready to get bad. This is getting ready to go to a, I guess. a level that I, I don't know how to go yeah. And I was
2: hopeless and I felt hopeless inside. Right. And I mean, I just, I was out of options. I just, you know, and I've been going to therapy and lying to therapists like, Oh yeah, I don't drink, you know? And like, I mean, going to therapists and only giving half truths, holding stuff back, all that stuff we do. Right. Yeah. And thinking that I was getting fixed and, um, I went to that 12 step group for two years and then I ended up going to a different one. Um, the one that really, really impacted me. Um, and I'll keep that in anonymity, right. As the spiritual foundation. So at the level of press radio and film, we don't affiliate with what program we're in, but that program, um, getting a sponsor and working the steps in that program. I mean, it, it changed my life. It, and I had to have a, the biggest bottom of my life before really submitting to that problem, you know, that right. program. So I'd gone out and tried to control my, uh, my habits mm-hmm. and, um, ended up in a situation on vacation where I just crossed every single personal line I'd ever set for myself. Mm. I mean, I just put myself in an unsafe position and my sister had come on that trip. Mm-hmm. She had just turned 21 and we were like, she's 10 years younger than me. And I was, I'm 31 at the time. And uh, I came back the next morning from my adventures and (laughs) opened the door of this hotel room. And my friends that I'd been friends with since junior high and my sister, it was like, their laughing was like a television movie where it's like slow-mo, you know, and like the laughing was loud, like, ha, 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 And I was just like, they were like giggling and they thought I was so funny. And I sensed a voice in my spirit say, Meg, this isn't funny anymore.
0: Wow. Ma.
2: I mean, it just like when you have something that yeah. just goes through your whole being and you know, it's truth,
3: Yeah. Right. Yeah,
2: and I went back to that recovery meeting, and this woman had been keeping an eye on me for quite a while, and she just walked right up to me. She, I, she could tell, and she was like, "Are you ready?" And I was like, "I'm ready. I'll do whatever you tell me to do." i mm, was I'll do whatever. That was God. That was, it.
0: That was God. That, that was God's that
2: was God's grace. That was right? God. yeah. <laughs>
3: yeah,
2: absolutely. It was. I, she took me through the twelve steps. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was. Hard but incredible work, it was life changing work. It's the best work I've ever done in my whole life like, better than any paper I ever wrote in college. You know, right. like, I just devoted myself to the process of the 12 steps, fell in love with it, and have had passion for it for
0: many, many, many
2: years since.
0: Well, well, well let, let me ask, let me ask you this. Uh, well, I, maybe I should just say this I know several people who you know, really don't think, I mean, and I guess we all know several people that really might have those type of issues, but, you know, they're in complete denial or they feel that, um, they can f- fix their issues themselves. Uh, they have control over th- things themselves. How hard is it to, like, if someone comes to your church, um, how hard is it to I don't know if it convinced them, I don't know if that's the right word to use, but how, you know, how hard is it to, to let them know that they, they actually have an issue to get through that denial? Is, is that a really yeah. a tough thing to do? Or do you even so, do it Yeah, they have to?
2: Well, so there's a process for that, right? That um, our founding fathers of recovery have gifted us with. And this is the great mystery of recovery. Mm -hmm. When has somebody had enough of enough? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so those conclusions that I've had enough have to, you have to come to those through your own, your own admission. Right. Mm
1: -hmm. And
2: a lot of times what helps that to come is consequences. And so for some people that's jails institute and institutions right and mm-hmm. it can look very physical like i'm stuck in a cell therefore i cannot use substances you know and so for me it was very emotional like my physical world my mm-hmm. income my i bought you know my home ownership status all of that stuff that all looked fine i paid bills i made money for me it was a very emotional Um, And people call it the bottom, right? Mm -hmm. And so my job is to help you position yourself to come to the conclusion for your own self that you, first of all, are powerless over your substance. So the definition of that is when I control my substance, I don't enjoy it. Mm. And when I enjoy my substance, I'm completely out of control. Wow. So that's one of the tests, right? Yeah. Um, or another great piece of recovery literature will say, try giving your substance up for a year and see what happens. If you're a real addict or alcoholic, you, you won't even make it a few days, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second half of the first step, so I'm powerless over my substance. And then there's a dash. And the second half of the first step is my life is unmanageable. And I clearly knew my life was unmanageable. Yeah. I couldn't get the man I wanted. You know, I'm making money, but I've got credit cards out the wazoo. You know, like I like my kids a lot, but I really love when they go to the babysitter better. You know, like all of these things. And I'm restless and I'm irritable and I'm not happy with my life. I don't feel okay. I feel like something's always missing. Why does everyone else have a life that I don't have? What am I doing wrong? Blah, blah, blah. I didn't understand. um, I understood that clearly. I did not understand what it meant to be, you know, addicted to a certain substance. And I needed information about that in order to then come to the conclusion. Yeah. I think I qualify for that. Like, I think that is me. I think I'm powerless over that substance. Right. Um, And that was because someone had taken the time to give me the information. Mm -hmm. Then I had taken time to meditate on that. Right. So I let that kind of stew inside myself. I looked at my experiences like, Hmm, you know, when I do this, then I get this or this always happens. Right. Um, And then the information and the meditation, I think there's a point of mystery, right? Mm -hmm. Where God gives you revelation of the truth. Mm. And when you match that with willingness and open-mindedness and you actually have to like make a commitment to you know change your life around like I'm gonna get up and go to this early meeting or and you have accountability people helping you do that and there's a sense of courageousness in that too like I'm gonna go to the first time I went to a meeting I was scared out of my mind I had to take a friend with me that's how scared I was um You know, God matches that willingness and openness and courageousness. And, but you, you gotta, you gotta put in, you know, it's not like you just sit there and by osmosis, you you get recovered. It's hard, it's hard work in the sense that it's a commitment, which is something that people that are using drugs and alcohol you know, I've known a lot of drug addicts and alcoholics that were really committed to scoring drugs or getting booze. Right. So you have to take that same kind of energy and apply mm-hmm. it to recovery. Yeah. And so it's not like you don't have the experience, you know, how to do that kind of thing. You just have been doing it toward the thing that's not
0: really
3: helping that's you to get food. well.
2: Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> right. But you know so, what, I would imagine though, it's, it just going into the meeting. I, I heard you say that you had a you know insurmountable uh, amount of, of fear, but I would imagine I you know it would be I can see it being shame or you f- or you feel failure in that some kind of way that you weren't able to 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 kick this thing yourself. Do you get a lot of people stating you know those type of feelings as well?
2: definitely part of it
3: mm-hmm.
2: See, when you get to your end of yourself yeah you've already tried everything and so yes all those years I'm still trying to figure out what's wrong with me right and I don't know it's because the substance is ruining my life mm-hmm. um there is a deep sense of shame in that and less than, and I'm not a full person. And this is why this goes back to my story all the way at the beginning. Like, no, you are a full person, even in your drug use and your drinking, you're this amazing, beautiful, you know, incredible person, creature, God's created, God's love, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And it's just so masked and hidden and you know it's it's weighted underneath of junk and stuff and recovery is like finally getting your hand up out of the dirt of the grave and mm. like you have a speck of sunlight coming in to your mm. and when, when you get that you got you got to have it like you got to dig towards it like you want it you know when you get that little tiny taste that life can be different, and. I think, I mean, I feel like my job is just to bring light. And I'm not sure how everyone gets light the same way I get light, but be light, you know, invite into light, host light, um, talk about light. But then also, when people need to sit in their darkness, sit there too.
0: Yeah. Wow. Well, let me ask you a, a personal question What does that feel like? Like now that you help others. Now that you help others in their recovery efforts. Um, I don't know if you could pinpoint a, a specific time where you have, you realized that you have helped someone change their life. You know, it, what does that feel like for you knowing that you've done that for, for other people?
3: I mean,
2: humility, humility and gratitude is Because our 12th step says, right, um, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to others and practice these principles in all our affairs. And so when you come into recovery, you're being taught right from the beginning. Like, this is for you now, but when you get through the steps, guess what? You're going to help others. And so service, service, you know, service work, being of service to others becomes like part of our DNA and recovery. Gotcha. And, you know, I had a season in recovery where I was sponsoring like over 20 women at one time yeah. and I was something right. Like, Oh, yeah. like, cause there's a culture in recovery. Like there isn't any other, you know, yeah. any other community. Um, Through that and and the way that that actually the lesson that how that came was I had married a man in recovery and we were like a recovery superpower couple like we were just you know, (laughs) hot stuff and you know we were sponsoring and we were speaking and we were you know and um he had an affair he relapsed and had an affair and he left and I kind of was glad that he left because he had gotten to be um kind of difficult to live with, uh, but the real pain of that divorce mm-hmm. was not that, I mean, it, not that he had had an affair and left, you know, mm-hmm. that he had chosen another woman. Mm-hmm. It was my pride because I had so much identity wrapped up in what it meant to be a superpower couple in recovery. Yeah. And his yeah. actions destroyed that for me. And it took me a long time, almost a year for God to really get into the marrow of my heart and expose that truth to me. And that, when I say like, that was the, one of the most painful times in my life. I mean, I just, I was so filled with anger and hurt and I had a revengeful spirit and, Mm -hmm. you know, I felt rejected and all that layered on top of this hidden truth that it was really about my identity. Mm-hmm. And when God revealed that to me, um, again, in one of those moments where I was just, you know, in, in a environment and I was open and it popped and I was like, oh, wow. Like yeah. to look back on that now, that divorce was what got me to North Carolina. I mean, that divorce got mm-hmm. me here which is where I've now made my life. And this is where Hope Recovery Church lives, right? Or Hope Recovery the community. So, wow, like- In his plan. divorce. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. And that right. was his plan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I'm not grateful for that. I mean, I'm not, but I am like, I have a gratitude for that season of life and it was terrible emotionally. Yeah. But the wisdom that came out of that season, mm-hmm. I mean, and that's wisdom that you can only get by living through something yeah. that's difficult, right? You can't read that wisdom in a book, right. you get that wisdom by having uh, an experience that you have really gone through, like and you've you've done the tears through it, right, like you've yeah. and so, yeah.
0: Wow. Well, I'm, I'm going to ask you something, and it may be an odd question. I don't know. Um, so I know that hope recovery, and just correct me if I'm wrong, if hope recovery, it, it teaches a lot of the principles of, uh, you know, uh, it, it goes into spirituality and and, and mm-hmm. God or, you know, however that you, you deal with that. But do you ever get people that come there that may not have a spiritual connection. You know what I mean? That, that yes, maybe not even believe in, 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 God. How, how do you all deal with that?
2: So this is a great question. So hope recovery faith community is United Methodist. So it's an, a Christian expression of, of a church environment. Right. But this is why I love it because when I first um, got clean and sober mm-hmm. I hated God. So, you know, Christian God, Jesus hanging on the cross is I'm not down with that. It's not my thing. Right. Mm -hmm. So I was so blessed to be offered alternative ways to connect with a higher power. Mm -hmm. And so for the first 10 years that I was in recovery, Mm
3: -hmm.
2: I was studying with the teacher who was uh, from Israel. She was Jewish But Mm -hmm. she was also part of the Native American Cherokee tribe in Pennsylvania. And so when you were with her, her name was Erit, you would get a little bit of of Judaism and a little bit of Native American kind of blended together. And um, she invited me into her life and into her space Mm -hmm. and into women's circles where I learned how to be vulnerable and speak my truth. and. Um, that experience allowed me to develop my own conception of God that was inviting to me, right? Cause I was hostile. And right. so, and then I had gotten a sponsor later on who was a Buddhist. And so being with her then introduced me to some principles of Buddhism. Okay. And eventually after that divorce, I would come back around to Christianity, um, through a, through a different door, you know, I, I had an experience with a non-denominational church, which is very different from a Catholic church. And right. uh, being a theater, theater kid in high school, when I went to the non-denominational church and saw they had a stage yeah. with like real lights and like set design. I mean, God uses whatever. I was like, this is church. I'm coming here. Right. Cause yeah. it was like, a sh- it's kind of like a show, mm-hmm. um, but whatever works. And so I had to be marinated right to come back um and so why i'm uniquely positioned at hope recovery i think it's because i've had this experience i know what it's like to be mad at god i know what it's like to be uncertain i know what it's like to not understand jesus or to even be afraid of jesus because in catholic church jesus is big and he's on the front and he's on a crucifix and you're not allowed to go up there you know only the priest is allowed up on the front section i mean all things that i you right. know thought about from childhood and so it doesn't bother me where you're at with your higher power like I don't get afraid of that um I'm not a pastor that is hell bent on converting you like God is already at work doing that and so my job is just mm. to invite you post you mm. give you information you know be with you while you decide these things for yourself or as God is luring you to God, however that looks for you. Right. And so, um, it's okay for me. You can be however you need to be. I trust God. I trust that it's not all dependent on me either. You know, like we're a community of faith. And I say that, as a community of faith of the world, right. That there are many different expressions of the love of God. And I'm a person who's interested in interfaith. I, I love learning about other religions and I find them very interesting. And I, I think it, it's responsible of me to, to know as much as I can about them, you know, in the time that allows because in recovery, we, we say God of our own understanding. And so that disallows me from defining in recovery what that is for you. Yep. I would be ineffective if I did that. Right.
0: Yes. Uh, got it. Got it. So I, at the beginning of our talk, you had mentioned, you know, your vision um, and, and what your hopes were for, you know, for hope recovery. I have to say this because of my, um, my podcast is about Wilmington and it is about community is what can, what can we do to, to, to help your program? I mean, the people that's listening, is there anything that people in the community can do to, to help your organization? So
2: these are my dreams for the space, right? We have, I, I think it might be two acres of property in the middle of Devon park. Um, we have an 18 bed community garden mm-hmm. in our backyard that was started by Wilmington Green in 2015.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And those 18 beds are available to be gardened. And I hate to say this, they're full of weeds. And so <laughs> I would love gardeners to come. That is awesome. The space, right? And then yep. this is my other dream. Because the property is so big and I really wanna reduce the amount of grass we have to cut. Mm-hmm. I would love to plant so the gardens in the back, I would love to plant a flower garden that starts in the front of the property and winds around to the back of the property. And so the flower garden connects to the vegetable garden. Okay. And that garden be in honor of all people who have been lost to addiction Mm. or have died of overdoses. Yeah. And the way that I really see this unfolding that I think would be incredible would be if people would bring plants from their own garden to replant in the flower and memory garden so that the garden has this kind of like family neighborhood gifting kind of feel to it right it's like made up of the prayers and sorrows and celebrations of people by sharing
0: by transplanting plants in there that's amazing yeah that's amazing I love it I love it, and you know, yeah, I, I, I'm so glad that I talked to you today. I'm really glad that I talked to you today. And 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 by the way, I I don't know if you know this, but um, my sister and I have a talent agency in Atlanta, and I've been into the uh, entertainment industry for a long time. And I can just tell you, you are definitely. I mean, you have your calling, but you are definitely a person for the stage. For sure, for sure, for sure.
2: I miss the stage so much. One day I want to direct high school or junior high, right? I just, you know what? Drama saved my life. You know, if it had not been for drama, yeah, I probably would have gotten involved in behaviors and addictions that would have been much worse than the ones that I participated in. It really, really, it was a drug of sorts, but it was a positive drug, right? And it really did act as a saving grace for me. And so I'll be forever grateful to drama and my drama coach, Mr. Chuck Jones, just a shout out there to Chuck. Chuck
0: (laughs) You saved there. you saved (laughs) there. We're so happy. (laughs) Anyways, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but let everybody know how they can find you via your website or your social media. How can they get in touch with you? Yeah, so
2: we're Hope Recovery ILM dot org. Mm-hmm. And that's how you'll also no, wait. Yeah, I think that's right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we're also um, recovery
0: faith community on Facebook. Okay. It, it, it uh, went out a little bit. Can you repeat the last bit a little bit?
2: Yes, we are on Facebook. We're hope, hope recovery, faith community. hmm. And our website is www.hoperecoveryilm.org. Got it.
0: Got it. Now, guys, anybody that's listening, I'm going to make sure that I put the links and everything down below um, in the the comment section and everything like that. So you can just, you don't have to think about it. You can go directly to their link and anyone that... Needs to get more information about it. Please contact Pastor McBride. I'll get any information she allows me to have to pass on to you all. And again, I, I really, really, really want to uh, thank you for coming on the show, telling us more. And I, I you're just, a, you're just a joy. You're just a joy. This is a pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> yeah.
2: It helps me to reaffirm my vision. Right, the more I talk about it it really helps me to reaffirm, first of all, that you're not crazy, and you should be doing this, right. But also, like, it just grows my passion to be in these kind of environments where I get to talk about, about the work, right. So thank you. I'm
0: really grateful. I am Uh, really grateful. You're uh, so, so, so welcome. So I'm going to let you go. But all right, guys, that's it for today's show. Remember, home is where the heart is and my heart is in Wilmington. I'll talk with you all soon. And Pastor, I'll get with you soon, okay? Thank you. I'd love to meet you in person. (laughs) Yes, we must do that. (laughs) All right, I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.